Blog Talk Radio. Hey! 
been for you, we would not be here. We opened our eyes this morning, God, because you gave us the strength to open our eyes. We were able to rise because you gave us strength in our limbs and the facilities of our body. We were able to get here, God, because you blessed us and brought us the way of safety and did not allow harm to come to us, Lord. We're grateful to again come into your presence because we know where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And as we come before you today, have your way, Lord. Let flesh be crucified that you might be glorified, that your people might be edified in the name of Jesus. For God in you is life. And that's what we seek, God, life. 
eternal life, God. We pray, O oh God, today that you will touch every person that have come seeking you, Lord. Bind the hand of the devil, God. Rebuke the hand of the enemy, Lord. God, let your anointing that resonates in this place even now. God, let there be an outpouring on your people. We need you, God, to take us to another level in you, Lord. God, we're faced with demonic forces, God. Evil spirits have come up against us, Lord, and we need to be fortified with your power. God, we can't make it on our own strength, God. We don't have enough to stand on, Lord. But we know, God, that your joy is our strength. Fill us up on today in the name of Jesus. Somebody have come this morning burdened down, God, with the issues of life, God. Somebody, God, is in the battle of their life. Somebody's, God, fighting in their mind and in their spirit, Lord, where the devil have come in to war against them, Lord. But we thank you, God, because we know greater are you that's within us than he that is within this world, God. We know, God, that you are a deliverer, Lord, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you're no short of your promise, Lord, and you're able to deliver us, Lord. Touch us on today, Lord. We need you like never before. Fill us up with the Holy Ghost, God, and give us a refilling, Lord, that when we leave here today, Lord, we can leave with your anointing, Lord, that as we meet men and women, boys and girls, they might be converted to know who you are, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. We thank you because you are a healer. You're the God that healeth thee, and healing is in your wings, and you're able to touch our feeble bodies. You're able to save our troubled souls. And in the name of Jesus, uh, bind every demon, Lord, uh, every demonic force, Lord, uh, God, that comes to keep us uh, in the same place, Lord. Uh, we're willing, God, to surrender uh, and say yes to your will, Lord. Uh, we're willing to turn our lives, God, uh, over into your hands, Lord, uh, because we come to the place, God, uh, where we realize like never before, uh, we need you, Jesus. Uh, more than anything we know, uh, we need you, Jesus. Uh, while men are trying to find God, uh, solutions to this chaotic world, God, uh, we're looking to you, Lord, uh, because we know for every right desire, uh, there is an answer, uh, and Jesus, you're that answer. Uh, there's no need for us, God, uh, to turn hither or thither, Lord. Uh, we need but to look for you, Lord, uh, because you're the answer, God, uh, for our troubled lives, Lord. Uh, touch on the day, God. Uh, break every yoke, oh God. Uh, save on the day, God. Uh, Deliver on the day, God. Jesus, we need you, Lord. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We're crying out to you, Lord. We know that you're able to save our souls. We know that you're able, God, to heal our bodies, Jesus. We know that you're able, God, to turn our situations around. Jesus, no other help we know. No other help we know. No other help we know, God. You're able, Jesus, to deliver our children. You're able, Jesus, to save the unsaved husband. You're able, Jesus, to heal the cancer patient. Nothing too hard for you, Jesus. No other God we know. We know that you're able, Jesus. We know that you're able, Jesus. We say yes to your 
will, God. Just to your way, Lord. Have your way, Jesus. And we'll thank you for it. And we'll give your name the praise. And we'll bless you, Lord. Yes, we thank you, Lord. And we bless your holy name. Come on, open your mouth and give the Lord some praise.
The wolf is at the door. The wolf is at the door. Father, I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, for your word. It's a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. I thank you, Lord, for the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit that gives us new hearts, Lord, so that we can stretch out beyond our limitations and be ambassadors of you and your word to all who can still hear. I thank you, Lord, for the anointing of your spirit. I thank you for courage and compassion today, God, to speak things that need to be spoken in this generation. Help us, Lord, as a church, never to back away from truth. Help us to go forward and let it fall where it may. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. The wolf is at the door. Isaiah chapter 53. Prophet Isaiah says these words. Who has believed our report? Beginning at verse 1. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, it's it's so important before we even begin to look at this passage of Scripture to understand that it was a religious system that crucified Christ. You know, we understand that the Roman authorities were the instruments of his death, but it was the religious order of the day created by God's own people that put the Son of God on a cross. There were leaders in that generation, and they had, they had used their position over the people to garner titles for themselves. They had adorned themselves in righteous robes as they saw it, and they, they loved to parade among the people, as Jesus said, and be called master, teacher, teacher, teacher in the marketplace. But Jesus himself came in a form that he did not take on this form of grandeur that men give to themselves. And also, too, they created a system of salvation that was much wider and much more inclusive than the one that God had 
given to us. As a matter of fact, it was so narrow that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. They were so offended when he challenged their religious system because they had, they had created this wide door into eternal life and eternal bliss with God that doesn't exist. All kinds of people were coming into the temple defiled and going out defiled. They were living in manners and ways that the Bible clearly indicated would leave them excluded from the kingdom of God forever. And so in comes this man. He's not interested in their system. He's not trying to garner one of their titles. He's not doing things their way. The Bible says there was no beauty in him that we should desire him. He's not dressed in righteous robes. He's, he's not got boxes on his forehead. He's not walking around with tassels on his arms. He's not parading like some rooster before the people. Talking about how close to God he actually is. They despised him and rejected him because he challenged the religious system. They had created a system of redemption that did not exist. Do you understand? And that's the propensity of humankind. The original sin in the Garden of Eden is that we can be as God is. Remember, we can, we can become judges of what's good and what's evil. And if you take that to its logical extension, we can start declaring things that are, that are God forgives when he doesn't. We can start declaring behaviors righteous when they're not. We can start telling people they're going to heaven when they aren't. That is the grave, grave danger of religion. When humankind in its sin nature is allowed to take it and so twist it and so pervert it that it becomes something that God never intended it to be. Can you imagine sitting in a place as a professed or supposed believer in Christ only to end up at the throne of God one day to find out you've been outside the whole thing all along? What a tragedy that's going to be for so many. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. There was a, a heaviness in the heart of the Son of God as he looked on the people as sheep without a shepherd. But we hid our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And we are, of course, reliving the scripture again in great measure in our day. In many, many places, even where God's people are gathering, the word of God is despised. And we are now gravitating to fancy preachers who have opened the door real wide to people who are not going to heaven, giving them false peace when they're not at peace with God. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old things are what? Passed away. And behold, all things are become new. If, if we are in Christ, if Christ is in us, that means a new value system. It means a new heart. It means a new mind. It means a new way of speaking, thinking, living. It means that what God says is good is good, and what God says is evil is evil. We don't try to change that. We accept that from the Word of God. Now, this message is given to shepherds to bring us not only to the knowledge of our salvation, but to the freedom which Christ bought for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And by his beating, as it is, that he took on the cross, we are healed. The old things don't have power over us anymore unless we choose to let them. The old ways of living, speaking, thinking, doing are broken. And we become new creations in Christ. 
we are able to look back and say, thank God I'm not what I used to be. I'm not everything that I hoped to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be, and thank God I'm going to be one day what Christ is calling me to be. So there's this constant moving forward in the life of a genuine believer, leaving an old way of thinking, an old way of living, an old way of speaking, and moving to truth, even when it's painful. The book of Proverbs says, a righteous person swears to their own hurt and doesn't change. In other words, I say I'm going to do this, and I do it because God's word says I should, even if it causes me pain. And I don't turn from it. Now, Paul was this kind of a shepherd. He, he didn't hold back, as I said earlier. This is what he said in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 to 31. He said, therefore, I testify to you this day I'm innocent of the blood of all men. In other words, and this is the cry of my heart, if anyone here today hearing my voice ends up in hell, let it not be my fault. Let it never be because I didn't declare to you the whole counsel of God or I didn't warn you of something that had the power to drag you down into eternal darkness. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Paul says, for this I know, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone, he said, day and night with tears. Paul said there's going to be wolves that are going to come and they're all already, there's packs of them now. It's not just a few, there's many now in our generation. And they're going to come to devour this sacrifice of Christ and the promise of new life through him. They're going to promise you liberty, as the scripture says in the New Testament, but they themselves are the slaves to corruption. They're promising something they, they're not experiencing themselves and they can't deliver it. Listen to what Jude says, the last book of the New Testament before the book of the Revelation. Verse 3 says, Behold, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round about them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Here's what the wolves do. They teach that you can live a lifestyle against the word of God and still claim heaven as your eternal home. That is the wolf that's now at the door of the Christian church in America. 
Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Be, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators. That means people who engage in sexual intercourse outside of the bonds of marriage between one man and one woman. Fornicators are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Settle it. It's in the word of God. Don't be deceived into thinking you can live in a moral lifestyle and heaven will still be your home. So hard for this generation to hear. When you've got preachers standing in pulpits saying, well, God understands your need and God is a God of love and God won't send anybody to hell. No, that's not true. God is a God of love. We know that. But the Bible tells us that fornicators have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Nor idolaters, people who have other loves in there. Something that is in your life that, that is, is, is your whole obsession. Churches or Christ is just a little part of your life, but there's something else in your life that you're pursuing. Nor adulterers, people who engage, who are married, but engage. And, you know, today we take words like adultery and we call it an extramarital affair, as if it's a black tie event. You know, you are invited to an extramarital affair next Friday at 5 o'clock. Bible calls it adultery. Adultery. Settle it. Deal with it. Sex outside of marriage will keep you outside of the kingdom of God. And sex outside of the bonds of the person that you are married to, the, white, the man or woman you're married to, will also keep you outside of the kingdom of God, unless it's repented of. Nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. In other words, that's both, men and women. Folks, listen. I understand the dilemma, in a sense, uh, that some might face in same-sex attraction. But I'm telling you, you can't give in to that lifestyle on any level because the Bible clearly says it will leave you outside the kingdom of God. Jesus himself said some people are eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. In other words, some people just live their lives without any sexual activity for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And he said, whoever can hear this, let them hear it. You know, you can, you go to a funeral, for example, and you can dress it up with flowers all around, and you can, there's a death certificate, and the preacher can get up and say nice words, but the reality is that the corpse is still dead. You can't make it live. It doesn't matter what you do, and it's the same with homosexual marriage, folks. I've got to say it straight out today. I'm not going to hold back on it. You can adorn it with flowers. You can get a certificate from City Hall. You, you can find some backslidden preacher to say nice words about it. But the wages of sin is still death. You can't change that. Now listen. I'll be called a hater for, for this message today. I understand that. But I'm not a hater. If I hated you, I'd let you go to hell. If I hated you, I'd let you die in your sin. If I walk down the street and your house is on fire and you're up in your bedroom window and I don't warn you, am I really a good neighbor? Do I really love you? Do I really care about your eternal destiny? 
You can curse me out of your bedroom window all you want, but I will still warn you that your house is on fire for your soul's sake. Nor thieves, lest we should think that we're just going to focus on one thing. Nor thieves. That means people who steal. It's that simple. People who steal. People who steal a little, they have a contract maybe and steal a little bit more than they should. Income tax time is coming around, folks. Are you going to pay your taxes? Nor covetous. Nor drunkards. People who come to church this morning, but you were out at a club last night. You're drinking and dancing, and, and this foolishness, I'm out there to share the testimony of Christ. Who are you kidding? <laughs> if you really are there to do that, stand on the sidewalk with pamphlets in your hand and give it to the drunks coming out of the club. You don't need to be in there with them. No revilers. You know, especially in, in this environment we're now living in, in this country at this time, where reviling has is is, is become the speech of the day, where it's, it's fashionable just to curse everybody around you. You know, Paul said, revilers don't inherit the kingdom of God. We have a different heart. We have a different spirit. We're, we're a different kind of people. Jesus himself said, blessed are the peacemakers. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. I love that. Would be to God that I can honestly say that of everybody here today. Such were some of you. But you are sanctified. That means you are set apart for the kingdom of God. You are, you, 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 you honestly repented. You walked away. You moved away from what God's word says is wrong. You can't make it right. You can't change it. It doesn't matter if a million people say, oh, isn't this wonderful? If God's word says it's not, it's not. You are sanctified. You walked away. You walked away from these old ways of thinking, these old behaviors and all of these things. And you set yourself apart for the kingdom of God. You're justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now, you and I are living in an hour where the wolf is heading to the door of the church, demanding in our generation that we bow down to this new definitions of good and evil. This is where we're living. The days of being able to say without penalty, what I'm saying today are, are over. If they're, not, if they're not over, they're very close to over. It's an amazing time that we're now living in. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. This is the point. There's a lot of hirelings in a lot of pulpits in America today. And they're, they're, they don't necessarily leave the people, but they leave biblical truth. They flee the truth when the wolf is at the door. When the wolf says, if you don't bow down, this is our golden statue. This is what this generation is going to look like. This is what you'll preach. These are the truths that you will espouse. They will bow down when the music plays to save themselves because it's always been about themselves, not about the people. The hireling will flee. 
And you will, you are seeing and you will see a huge departure from biblical truth in the Christian church in this last hour we're living in. The Bible declares that there's going to be an apostasy, a great falling away in the last days from biblical truth. And the hirelings will lead the people, not into the narrow way of eternal life, but into that broad way of destruction. And they flee because it's always done about them. It's been about the robes. It's been about the praises of man. It's been about the titles. It's been about the numbers. It's been about the apparent evidences of success. Then when Christ comes and challenges them, they hate him. His own system hated him. His own people hated him. They pushed him away because he declared their definitions of salvation and truth to be bankrupt. He told them they were full of dead men's bones. He said, you go cross land and sea to get one convert and you make him twice the child of hell that you've become. These are the words of Christ. He warned us in the last days there would be a great falling away. He warned us. He said, you're going to be hated of all nations for my name's sake. You can't escape that. That's a promise in the word of God. We're going to be hated. It's starting now. You're seeing it in society. You're seeing it in the workplace. You can't even have an opinion on things anymore in this generation that we're now living in. Let me say it clearly now. Abortion. For the cause of birth control. Or, or so the people. I understand there are extenuating circumstances. So please don't misquote me on this. But for the cause of just birth control. Or for the cause of having sexual pleasure. And not having to deal with the life that it can create. Is sin. Amen. In the sight of a holy God. It's a terrible sin in the sight of a holy God. In America today, the deliberate gender confusing of our children in grade school is sin in the sight of a holy God. In our high schools, forbidding our children to pray and creating this fictitious division between the state and the church, which doesn't exist. If you really study it, you'll understand it never existed. It was created by the godless. Forbidding our children to pray in our schools is sin in the sight of a holy God. In our colleges, allowing godless professors to rise up and mock God and radicalize a whole generation against even their own nation that was founded by God for the purpose of being able to worship according to the word of God and freely by conscience is sin in the sight of a holy God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise be to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So let this society despise him. Let them consider him ordinary. Let them rebel against his words. But this day, as Joshua once said, if it be hard to follow the Lord, that's your choice. Choose this day. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.
By the grace of God, we will not bow before the wolf in this generation. By the grace of God, we will stand for the truth of God. By the grace of God, we will pray again. We will pray again as a church age. By the grace of God, we will stand up unashamed for the truth of Jesus Christ. We stand on the side of victory. We stand on the side. We stand on the side of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Glory, glory, glory. And as uh, David the king once did, we will stand in this generation against the lion and the bear and everything that comes in to devour our children and to devour the people of God. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to rise up. It's time for the people of God to fight back. It's time for us to begin to pray. It's time to run for public office. It's time for teachers to speak. It's time. It's time for the people of God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Glory, 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 glory. The true shepherds of God in this generation are going to care more for the people than for their own safety more than our own reputation. It's not going to be an easy road. But I don't know about you, but I'm not giving up this generation to darkness. I'm going to stand because the Word of God stands forever. The opinions of men are like grains of sand on the seashore. They'll fall into nowhere. But the Word of God abides forever. Now here's where I conclude. If you're living... In sin, I plead with you, while there's still time, turn. Turn from it. And trust God for the strength. I know there's some sitting here or listening online or they're in the annex and they say, you don't know how deep the bondage is. You don't know how powerful the draw is. No, I don't. But I know the Spirit of God is more powerful than all of that put together. And I know the promise of God is that we will have a new life, an eternal life. The days of living in Christian ease is over in America, folks. It's over. We're about to join our brothers and sisters in China and other places who are being persecuted for what they believe in Iran who are being jailed and put to death for believing in Christ. We've lived a very comfortable, very lazy Christianity in America, but those days are over. The wolf is now at the door. Pray for those of us who lead in any capacity that God would give us courage. As I pray for you, that God would give you a cleanness of life and practice and heart and give you the courage to speak up in whatever environment you find yourself in. 
Our children are starving for truth in this generation, and they're wide open. There's only a few Goliaths that claim that they have the power to keep us from being the people of God, but they don't. So I challenge you with all my heart, turn from sin, find that new life in Christ, and rise up and be the person that God's called you to be. We're going to sing for just a few moments. We're going to worship. I guess my elder call is just twofold today. It's for people to say, oh God, help me please to turn from this thing in my life. I don't have to tell you what it is you already know. Help me to turn away from watching pornography. Help me to turn away from drink. Help me, God, to turn away from that flirtation in the office. Help me, God, help me, God, to stop railing. Get me off, get me out of the seat of the scornful and help me to walk with the righteous. Deliver me, God, from cowardice and put a love for people in my heart that casts out all fear. Give me a voice to call this generation back to you again. And God help me not to cower under the fear of the repercussions that will come all of our way. You know, I was in Washington and there's an ex-general there who really <clears throat> gives courage to my heart every time I meet him and talk with him. And essentially, what he would say if he were standing here is, you have to fight for a cause higher than your own preservation. If it's just about preserving yourself, you'll flee when the enemy comes. If it's about others, you'll stand. May God give us the courage in this generation to stand for those that don't have a voice for themselves, for our children, for the unborn, for our high school students, for our college students, for every mother, every father, every child in this country that needs to know there's a Savior who died for them. Give us the grace to be kind and compassionate to all. Not judging anyone, we leave that to God. But reaching as far as we can reach into this massive fallen humanity with this message of incredible grace that belongs to every person who turns to it through Jesus Christ. So Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you will today cause your kingdom to advance. You will give us the strength and courage that we now need as a people to stand against the onslaught of wickedness that wants to extinguish the testimony of your life and word. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for courage for your people as others throughout the world have had to have. God, deliver us, Lord, from this life of ease that so many of your people have known and bring us into the true fight for the souls of men. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. God, we yield our bodies today to this purpose. We thank you in Jesus' name. So we're gonna stand in a moment for those who just, you just know you have to turn from something. And for those who wanna to turn towards Christ, maybe you don't have a struggle that I'm talking about in your life, but you say, God, I, I'm stuck in neutral. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going back and I'm not going forward. But today you say,
I want to make a difference. I want my life to count. I want my voice to have authority. If that's you, we're going to stand. I'm going to ask you to make your way here. We're going to pray together and believe God to answer our prayer. In the annex, you can make your way here. We'll wait for you in the campus churches. Step between the screens, if you will. We'll be back in just a moment. Uh, Every time I look at people at this altar, I see a mighty army of God. I, I do. I honestly do. So, Father, I pray today, Lord, that you would give every man, every woman, every young person who is at this altar, who are responding in our campus churches or at home, courage, courage, Lord, and compassion. Lord, your word speaks of a perfect love that casts out fear. So, God, give us a love for people that we would not be afraid to speak truth without condemning them, without railing, just loving and speaking the truth. Father, help those that are caught in sin to turn from it. Help us as your people, my God, to be clean. We who bear the treasure of Christ in these earthen vessels, cleanse us, God, of impurity and mixture and things that cause your voice not to be heard or your heart not to be seen. Give us the grace we need to be the people of God. Lord, help us. Help this nation. Give us a moment of mercy, Lord, to turn back to you again. Give us the grace to pray. Heal our homes, our families, our marriages, our children. My God, deliver us, Lord, from those that crept in to our schools, our colleges, and our high schools, Lord, and took captive our children. Deliver us, God, from this moment. As you delivered your people out of Egypt, deliver us, God, from those who are throwing our children into the river of confusion. Forgive us, Lord, as a people, as a nation, for what we allowed in our laziness to come into our borders. Forgive us, Lord God, for abdicating the training of our children and giving it to others, Lord, who took advantage and began to steal them from your kingdom. God, help us now to take our rightful place. Help the fathers here to take their place as the head of their home, as the guide, the spiritual guide of their families. Help the mothers to understand the incredible power that they have Lord, it is truly said that the hand that rocks the cradle shapes the nation. That's true. That's true. I pray, God, for every, every woman here. God, I ask today, Lord, uh, that even from this meeting today, people would rise up and find your will and walk into it, Lord, with faith. Whatever it is, wherever you lead us, take us, Lord. We dedicate our lives to you, Lord. We dedicate our futures to you. We thank you for covering our past and our present failure and giving us the promise of new life into the future. Lord, we will not despise you. We will not turn our faces from you or lightly esteem you. Your word is the truth, Lord. It is the only guide we have into eternal life. So God God help us, Lord. Help us to learn your word, to study your word, to know your word, and to cherish your word. Father, thank you for the great fruit that will be born into your kingdom just from the lives that are here at the altar and on their knees in their homes right now. Just thank you for the great fruit that will be born for your kingdom's sake. Lord, we bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God.
the highest mountain Looked all around, couldn't find nobody Went out into the deepest valley Looked all around down there, couldn't find nobody Across the deep blue sea Couldn't find one to compare To your grace, your love, your mercy Nobody greater, nobody greater than you Searched all over Couldn't find nobody I looked high and low Still couldn't find nobody, nobody greater, nobody greater, no, nobody greater than you. Searched all over, couldn't find nobody. I looked high and low, still couldn't find nobody. Nobody greater, nobody greater, nobody greater than you. Nobody can heal like you can. Almost oh, holy one, you are the great I am. Awesome in all your ways and my You are healed, carried out, redemption plan.
be thinking God's thoughts. What does he think? How does he want us to think? How does he want us to live? And in the process of doing so, remember this. When you're thinking his thoughts, you're thinking the most powerful thoughts there are. When you're thinking his thoughts, you're thinking and beginning to see what he's thinking about you. Next on In Touch, taking control of your thoughts. Our mind is the control tower of our life. Whatever happens in our life starts right here. All of our decisions are there. And the truth is, whatever we are today is the result of what we've been thinking about all those years. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if you don't like what's going on around you, maybe you should ask yourself the question, what am I thinking about? What do I think about myself? What do I think about other people? Because what we think about is really what controls us. For example, our relationship to God, our relationship to each other, our sense of direction in life, whatever we accomplish, our failures in life, all of that is a result of the way we think. And oftentimes we forget that, that this is a control tower, that everything else is a result of how we think, that we can't control everybody else in control of all of our circumstances. But we are going to respond to circumstances in one way or the other. And so when I think about uh, how this affects us, I think about the fact that many people are where they are because of wrong thinking. And so they don't like where they are. Other folks are where they are because of right thinking, because they've been thinking the right way. What you have to ask is this. What is it that determines what I think? Is it the Word of God? Or is it something else I read, something else that I watch? And I think about how many people sit down and open their mind to a television program or to the news or whatever it might be, not realizing they are sitting there being programmed in their mind to think a certain way. You say, well, does that include preaching too? Yes. And I want you to listen carefully because I want you to be programmed to think the way God thinks, programmed to understand the Word of God, programmed in such a way that you live in a fashion that's pleasing and honorable to God, and that the very best that God has for your life, you'll be able to experience that, yes. But on the other hand, you're watching some program that's full of sensuality or just crime and all of these movies and so forth that you see and programs that I don't watch them, I can't name them, but I can tell you a lot of it is just pure junk that you do not need in your mind 
in your thought life and certainly as a part of your life. So what I want to talk about in this message is controlling our thoughts because this controls everything. And that's where our thoughts are from. So if you'll turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 3, and I want us to read these first eight verses and look at this. Then I want to answer the question, how do we control our thoughts, which determines our life? And Paul begins in this particular chapter, and he says, for example, Therefore, that is based on what he's been talking about, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, that is, when He comes, then you also will be revealed, come with Him in glory. Therefore, watch this, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it's because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth, and so on he goes. So I want us to look at this passage for a moment. I'm going to come back to it till the end of the message. But notice what he says, therefore, if you've been raised up, what in the world does that mean? When you were saved, it's as if the Bible says you died to your old way of life and you rose to walk in newness of life. That's what baptism pictures. You died to your old way of life. You're buried in Christ Jesus, risen to walk in newness of life. And he says, therefore, keep seeking, since this is a new life, Keep seeking the things above, spiritual things. That doesn't mean that you forget everything that's in this life. We have responsibilities and joys and whatever it may be. But keep seeking those things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God so you understand the quality of those things. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, which is an awesome statement. Set your mind. You're going to set it on something. Set it on things above, things that are holy and righteous and good and godly and helpful. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That is, you died your old way of life. When you said, I'm trusting Jesus as my Savior, you didn't just say, well, I just want to add Jesus to my present life, and I'll keep going. Now, this is what people do when they're living in areas of idolatry. And uh, they have all kind of idols in their house. And uh, unless they fully understand... What they do when you explain Jesus to them, they say, oh, yes, and they've got a God to this. They've got an idol to this God, this God, this God, and they want to know what kind of idol they put up here, Jesus, and add to their religion. No. When you trusted Jesus, you died to your old way of life. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed when he comes, then you also will be revealed and come with him in glory. Now, watch this next verse. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to illicit sex, to moral impurity of all sorts, passion, that is that drive within you that causes you to do things that are not right. And he says, evil desires, greed, which amounts to idolatry. And in those days, in which you'll find in the Scripture, oftentimes when the Bible talks about uh, immorality, he also talks about greed. Greed. 
because he puts them together. And in the days in which uh, Paul was writing uh, to the Colossians and to the Romans and so forth, that Roman society, idolatry uh, uh, and sensuality were all sort of mixed up together. They're gods, and they had prostitutes in the, in the temples and so forth. And so it was all a, a mixture. So he says it's because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them, watch this, in them you also once walked, that's past, when you were living in them. That is, that was your lifestyle. Then he says, but now you also put them all aside, that is, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, that is, you, you change. So it's, it's time to put away the things that don't fit your new life in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to come back to that and show you something about that passage in a few moments. But I want to, I'm going to give you three ideas, three points to this message. And I want to end up with the last one being, how do I control this control tower of my life? How do I control my thoughts? Is it possible to do so? But the first point is simply this. The pathway to controlling our thoughts begins with an understanding of our relationship to Jesus Christ. You don't understand that, you'll never understand this idea of controlling your thoughts. That's where it all begins. Because he says here, we were raised up with Christ Jesus, referring to our salvation. There was a change that took place when you were saved. And as a result of that, God intended for our thinking to change, our mind to change, because this this mind of yours controls everything else in your life. You say, well, what about all the other parts of my life? We're, we respond to the way we think. And so if we think right, we're going to have one response. We think wrongly, we're going to have another. Very important that we understand how that works. So this requires me to understand how to control my thoughts. If I want to think right, if I want to think godly, if I want to think holy, if I want to think righteously, right here is where it starts. And many people lose it right here. They don't think right. They don't think godly. They don't think like they're worth anything. And they say, well, you know, I just never had the opportunity or I just never will be that or I'm just this and I'm not that. And this is why people who are very beautiful can think they're ugly. And people who are very skinny can think they're fat. And they refuse to eat because they think, they look in the mirror and they don't see what's reality. And so your mind controls every aspect of your life. In fact, what you think determines how you live. What you think determines how your relationship to God, as we said, your relationship to others, your relationship to yourself. And many people start out in life defeated because of the influence of their parents, their grandparents, that tell them they'll never amount to anything, or this is wrong with them, or that's wrong with them. And as a result, they go through life, what? having heard, written in their minds, impressed in their thinking, if my mama said it, my daddy said it, and my grandmother said it, it must be true, therefore. And oftentimes people are ruined as a result of what they have been taught or what, they have been or what they've heard from someone that they value very highly. So with that in mind, I want to come to the second point, which is the challenge to controlling our thoughts. Because once you're saved, as I say, your environment's the same. It could even get worse. But we're to live godly 
in an ungodly society, in an ungodly environment, and some people's environment's worse than others. I think about people who grow up in families. They get saved. Nobody else in the family is a Christian. The family uses foul language. They never read the Bible. They drink. They carouse. Maybe unfaithful to each other. All kind of things. And here's this godly life that now is surrounded by very ungodly circumstances. And I think about some situations and people that I've met, and they tell me where they've come from and how God has worked in their life and how they live where they live and the circumstances they live in. It is very difficult for them, especially unless they're trained, unless they're taught. And I think oftentimes people go to church year after year after year, and nobody tells them or explains to them or helps them understand this is the way you think. And you can only think this way if certain things are true. And so this morning my goal is simply this, to say there are challenges to thinking godly. But thinking godly is absolutely essential to our success in life, learning to live with ourselves and learning to live with others and accomplishing whatever God has in mind for us. And uh, when I think about that, I think about two verses of Scripture, for example. Turn to Second uh, Corinthians for a moment. And look in this, um, look in this um, fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians and the fourth verse. He says in this fourth verse, he says, speaking of the gospel and so forth, he says in verse 3, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Watch this. Satan blinds the mind of the unbeliever so that they can't, don't want to, have no desire to see the truth. If you turn to the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians and look, if you will, in the third verse. Now, he blinds the minds of the unbeliever, but listen to what he says in the third verse. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. He blinds the minds of the, of the unbeliever, and he deceives believers. This is why people who profess to be Christians oftentimes live a life that we know is absolutely not biblical because they're deceived. Well, so-and-so says it's okay, or so-and-so says it's all right. They're deceived by what they hear, by what they see, by what they feel. So Satan works. He doesn't work on your toe, your leg, or somewhere else. He works in your mind. It's the battlefield in every person's life. It, whatever goes on right here is going to affect every single aspect of your life. And so this is why it's so important and why Paul is talking about it here. And so what happens is uh, Satan working in your mind will enable you to recall things that happened years and years and years ago. Maybe things that were bad, something somebody did to you, somebody molested you, somebody uh, mistreated you, whatever it might be, it's still there. You, you can keep recalling it, and when you recall it, it's a bad feeling. And so we have the power to recall. But if that mind is filled with things that are unpleasant, ungodly, or as he says here, we've been blinded and so forth, then we suffer the results. And so the mind is very important and can be easily deceived by the devil unless you fill it with the truth of the Word of God. And I'm not talking about just reading the Bible once in a while, which we'll, we'll see in just a few moments. So when I think about this and I think about what is a reprobate mind, 
A reprobate mind is one, watch this carefully, that has looked at life, looked at particular sin in their life, and decided, that's what I want. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm giving myself to that no matter what somebody else says or what anybody else likes. They can say anything they want to say. That's what I want to do, and that's what I'm going to do. And it is something that the Scripture teaches very specifically, that it's an act of disobedience to God. When you give yourself over to a particular sin, and you say, that's what I'm going to do, that's the way I'm going to live, then what you have is a reprobate mind. It starts right here. Only you can decide that about yourself. A reprobate mind. I remember one of my friends who had been um, ahead of the, the Baptists in a particular uh, state where I was, and uh, he and I were good friends. And I remember one day we were eating lunch, and he said, um, I remember he was down a little bit that day, and I asked him what was going on. He said, you know, uh, he was in the service, and he was in another country, and he was there, over there for a pretty good while. He said, you know, I don't want to tell you what, but he said, uh, in those few years, I think he was there about three years, he said, I did a lot of things. I saw a lot of things. I experienced a lot of things. He said, I just sort of did what I wanted to do. And he said, now these years have passed by, and I'm in the ministry, and I'm still suffering the results of my sins because somehow I can't get them out of my mind. He said, because I was so indulged to myself in those three years of doing what I wanted to do or what I thought I wanted to do, he said, it has hampered me ever since. So I'll just say this to you. It makes a difference what you think. And you may think it today and think, well, it's not going to ever happen or it's not going to hinder me in the future. What you th watch this. What you think is imprinted on your mind. Well, how long does it take you to forget it? It may not take you but two weeks to forget it, but remember this. It is still in your mind. This is why things crop up in your thinking that you hadn't thought about in years and years and years and years. Then on the other hand, something happens this morning and you can't remember it. So the mind is a strange thing, but one thing about it, whatever you put in there is there to stay until Jesus delivers you from it. So the mind is a powerful part of your body, and the truth is your life is an expression of what you think. If you don't like what you're thinking, you can change your thinking. You say, well, now, I don't know that I can change my thinking. Yes, you can. For example, if you're angry, you, don't, you, you can lay it down. If you feel that you're a nobody full of unworthiness, you can lay it down. If you are jealous of somebody, you can lay it down. And we could just go through a whole list of pride and, and criticism, rejection, fear, and greed. All of these things that people feel, they can lay it down if they choose to. Now, if you don't think you can and you're just convinced you can't, you say, well, I've thought this for years and years and years. Remember this one thing. Are you listening? Say amen. amen. You have the Holy Spirit living in you as a believer. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit came to live in your life. And remember what Jesus called him. He said, I'm going to send the helper, and when he comes, he'll be in you, with you, and upon you. You and I, who are believers, trusted Christ as our Savior, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And one of his responsibilities is to, as a helper is to enable us, that is, in our thinking, to bring that back to our minds what we think and how we think, and to help us to remember Scripture and so forth. But he's there to be a helper and to help us to think right about God, about Jesus, about our life, about others, about ourselves. He is our helper. So you can 
walk away. You do not have to keep remembering things. That you say, well, you just said it'll be there. It doesn't mean you have to remember it. It doesn't mean you have to bring it back. When somebody says to me, well, I can't help myself, yes, you can. Yes, you can help yourself. And I've lived long enough to know that times when I thought I couldn't help myself, finally God got through to me and said, yes, you can. You are responsible for what you think and how you think it. Because as a believer, you have the Spirit of God living within you to enable you to think right. But it's important we understand what God says and how He says it. So I want you to think about this, and this will be on the screen so you can jot it down if you'll do it quickly. And simply this. We sow a thought and reap an action. We're going to respond. We sow an action, reap a habit, because we keep sowing the same action. We sow a habit and reap a character, because habits in our life determine our character. We sow a character, we become something, we reap, we reap a destiny. This is who we are and this is our future. And then remember this idea. Unseen thoughts produce visible consequences. Unseen thoughts produce visible consequences in our life. In other words, whatever we think, nobody else in the world knows exactly what you think. But the way you think is going to be visible at some point or the other. And if you feel unworthy, you feel like nobody cares, nobody loves you, it's going to be visible upon your face. You're not going to have any peace or joy or happiness. You think nobody really cares for you. It's going to show. It's going to be a part of your life. But it came from your thinking. Don't think less of yourself than God thinks and He died for you. No matter what somebody else says about you, you are a child of God once you've trusted Christ as your Savior. So we're the ones who determine what we're going to be and so forth because it's the way we think. And this is why people can come from nowhere, the worst kind of situations, circumstances. You'd think they'd never amount to anything in their life, and they excel, excel, excel beyond even their imagination. What? They started thinking rightly about themselves and about the Lord and about His place and position in their life. So unseen thoughts produce visible consequences in their life. Now, I say all of that to get around to saying this. How do we control our thoughts? How do we control them? Well, when the thought comes to your mind, uh, one of several things you're going to do. You're going to accept that thought, and you're going to express it in some fashion. Or you may just wrestle with it for a while. Or you may deny it. And this is the way Satan will defeat you. If you're thinking something and you deny it, it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. So you can accept it and express it. You can wrestle with it, deny it, or you can control it. Because you have the Holy Spirit working within you, you can control what you think. And that's, if I'm going to control my thinking, I have to understand that. You have within you the power of the Spirit of God to enable you to think rightly. If you find, for example, yourself, somebody on your job, you don't like them, you don't want to be around them, you can change your thinking about them. You say, well, how can I change my thinking about them when I think that? Well, you can say, first of all, you know, God created them. He loves them. And I could talk you out of being bad toward them right now. In other words, if you just think about, you think about people the way you choose to think. And we are the products of our choices and how we handle these things in our life. Now, one of the ways you overcome 
whatever that sin is in your life or whatever's going on, one of the ways you overcome this thinking is by asking yourself some very impacting questions. Not just questions, but questions that will make a difference in your life. And I would just encourage you to write these down. You ask yourself these questions about whatever you're thinking. And the first question you ask is this. Where will these thoughts lead me? Where will these thoughts lead me? If I keep thinking the same thing, well, it's going to lead you somewhere. Very important question. If I keep thinking this, where is it going to lead me? Another question is, will these thoughts get me where I want to go? Then you have to decide, where do I want to go? Where do I want to go in life? Will what I'm thinking get me where I want to go? And if you say, I'm just not important, I'm a nobody, I don't have any gifts and talents and skills in life, and give yourself a lot of excuses, you won't get anywhere. So you have to ask yourself the question, if I keep thinking this, where will this get me in life? Then ask yourself the question, are these thoughts scripturally acceptable? In other words, let's say, for example, you're sitting in front of the TV and something comes along, you know it's not right. And the world is full of pornography. And pornography is the world's photography. They have diluted the truth, and they put all kind of stuff out there for people to watch. And you ask yourself the question, are these thoughts scripturally acceptable? And here's somebody committing some sexual act on television or, or whatever you may watch. Uh, are these things acceptable scripturally? No, they're not. Then you shut it down, cut it off. You, you, in other words, you don't watch. You do not have to watch what you know is not right. You can shut it down. Somebody says, but I'm so weak. You're weak because you're talking about being weak. You don't have to be weak. You have the Spirit of God within you who will enable you to do whatever is necessary to overcome whatever is there. So what you do, what we're doing is giving these questions and saying, let's look at reality. What's reality? Reality is, uh, where will these thoughts lead me? I have to answer that question. Will these thoughts get me where I want to go? I need to answer that question. Are these thoughts scripturally acceptable? I can answer that. Will these thoughts build me up or tear me down? And they're going to do one of the two. They're not neutral. Our thoughts are going to build us up or tear us down. When you sit through this message, these thoughts ought to build you up, not tear you down. When you look and listen to stuff that you know is not right, ungodly, unscriptural, sensual, whatever it might be, you know the real truth is they're going to tear you down spiritually. So you have to decide whether you're going to watch, look, or listen, or listen to your friends or whatever they're saying, because they're going to have some impact in your life. And then... Could I share these thoughts with someone else? Whatever you're thinking, could you share it with somebody else? Or is that one of those thoughts that, no, you couldn't? Well, I'm not saying you should tell everybody everything you know in life about yourself or whatever it might be. But on a daily basis, what I'm thinking, could I share it with somebody else? And they'll tell you where you are in your thinking. And then, where did these thoughts originate? And some thoughts did not, not originate with the Word of God. They did not originate in heaven. They did not originate in godly living. They did not originate in anything that's holy. And they did not originate in anything that is good for you. So when you analyze the thoughts, where did this come from? Why am I thinking this? Uh, what's, what's the source of this? What is this going to do in my life? Watch this. 
all of those questions, you have the right and the power to answer for your life. Nobody else can answer them for your life. You have the power to answer them for your life. And we're just talking about how you think about yourself and the power of your thoughts. And you just think just these questions alone. And then the question is, do I feel guilty thinking these thoughts? Well, you know the answer to those things. You know, for example, if you thought about taking something that didn't belong to you, uh, how would you think about it? You should feel guilty. If you don't feel guilty, you have a major problem. Then you need to think a little deeper. Have I ever been saved? Uh, where, where, what's going on in my life? So we said your thought life is in your mind. This is the control tower of your life. And because it is, we make the decisions and we suffer the consequences or we glean the blessing of making right decisions in life, whether it's about money or whether it's about marriage or whether it's about sex or friendship, relationships. Here's where it all starts. And this, this, this is going to control your life. And the truth is all of us up to this point in our life, where we are is a result of how we've been thinking all these years. So have you been thinking about yourself all these years? Have you been thinking about God? Have you been thinking about the Lord? Have you been thinking about your friends, your relationships, about our nation? In other words, how do you, what are you thinking about all that? And you see, you can't take your mind out and put somebody else's in there except Jesus. When he says we have the mind of Christ, that if, watch this, when you trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, he gave us the power to think the way he thinks. That doesn't mean we'll be as wise as he is or that we'll have all the knowledge that he has, but he gives us the right and the power to think godly as his creations. So we have the power to think right. We have the gift of Almighty God and someone to protect us in the process. Then you might ask yourself this question. Watch this. Do these thoughts fit who I am as a follower of Jesus? Do these thoughts fit who I am as a follower of Jesus? If I'm not a follower of Jesus, anything goes. But once I trust Christ as my Savior, there's some thoughts don't fit you. There's some thoughts that do not fit you once you trust Christ as your Savior. They don't fit you. Once you trust the Lord Jesus as, as the Lord of your life, they don't fit you any longer. And so you and I make choices based on, watch this, who we see ourselves to be, a follower of Jesus Christ. And therefore, there's some things that don't fit us. There's some places that don't fit you. There's some words that don't fit you. There's some thoughts that don't fit you. There's some clothes that don't fit you. There's some actions and attitudes and habits that do not fit us once we trust Christ as our Savior. This is why the Bible says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. I'm to think different. And if I think differently, I'm going to act differently and probably going to look differently if I'm following Jesus instead of the world. We're in deeper trouble than we realize because after you go to a certain point, and then you decide that you wanna, you're going you're gonna to change. How long do you think it would take for us to change our views in this country of sex? How long do you think it would take, or could you think it could ever be possibly turned around? That's just one aspect. But honesty 
and truthfulness. Where is truth? Where is honesty? Where is purity? Where is godliness? The things that made us the nation we are. We've decided, and I'm going to show you a little contrast here in a moment. We've decided between two choices. And the choices we are making are choices that are destructive in their nature. And remember this, you can't change this. We reap what we sow, more than we sow, later than we sow, and it's getting very late. Now, what I want to do is I want us to compare the difference between true, genuine love and lust. And uh, those thoughts, are, they, they come from the control tower. How do we think? And so I want you to jot these down because oftentimes you'll hear people say, well, I got in trouble because he or she said they really love me, and if they love me, they'd go to bed with me, and so now I'm pregnant, and on and on and on we go. I want you to think about how many precious little children are born in America without a father. It is a tragedy of tragedies in this country that sex is so important that nobody seems to care about. What are the consequences? So I want us to, I want to give you a little example of the difference between love and lust. So I'm going to have a chart, and we'll put it up on the board in just a moment. And love is an awesome blessing of God. And lust is something totally different. But when somebody says, uh, put it this way, if somebody wants something from you and they say, well, look, I love you. Well, here's some things for you to think about. Love is, listen, love is, of, uh, is from God. Lust is from the world. Now, remember that lust, listen, lust is desire out of control. That's what lust is. It's out of control. It gets stronger and stronger and stronger unless you deal with it. So you have to decide, is this love or lust? Love can wait, and lust has got to have it now. I think about people who get themselves in a position. This is why you have to watch where you go. Watch what you watch. Be careful who you... In other words, you have to be careful about choosing your friends. Well, if you loved me, you would do thus and so. No, if I loved you, I wouldn't dare do it. If I loved you, I would not touch you. If I loved you, no, I wouldn't think that. If I loved you, I won't, because lust is destructive. Love is selfless. Not thinking about itself, but it's, listen, lust is selfish. I want what I want because that's what I want. It's all about me. Lust is all about me, not about love, not about the other person. Love, for example, is giving. Now, you'll hear people say, uh, well, um, in fact, if you recall, probably almost half a generation ago, maybe a generation ago, we heard a lot about free love. So I want you to listen carefully. There is no such thing as free love. No such thing. Let's start with the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is free, but it cost Jesus his life on the cross. There's nothing free. It's free to us now by faith, but it cost Jesus his life. And true, genuine love has a price tag. It's not free. If you love somebody, you may have to sacrifice. You love somebody, you may have to give. You love somebody, you may have to be. In other words, it, it, there are lots of different ways that love 
can cost you something. So free love, that's what the world talks about. And usually if they're talking free love, they're talking drugs and other things that go with that because they've given themselves over to a lie. They have been deceived by the devil in their thinking. So love is giving and lust is taking. I want this. I want that. Love is purity. And lust is sin. It's just that clear. Disobedience. Love develops and lust destroys. Destroys relationships, destroys families, destroys people, you name it. It's a destroyer. Lust is a destroyer because lust says, I've got to have it, I want it. And this is why people commit all kind of crimes. They want something and they want it now. And then, of course, the difference is that love is peaceful and lust is full of anxiety. Lust creates anxiety. And love is peaceful. Lust is anxious. I want it now. I have to have it now. And that's their attitude. Now, we have to choose to obey the commands of Christ. And that's going to take us back to uh, our scripture we read a few moments ago uh, in these first few verses. Because if I'm going to live a godly life and I'm going to make my mind the control tower that I want it to be, I have to be obedient to God's Word. So when we talk about what he says in a few moments, we're not talking about just a little Bible reading here and there. So listen carefully. And what I want to do is I want to go through the Scriptures and give you a little insight into what uh, Paul says that's not always there in English, but it's there in the language in which he wrote it. And so when he says, for example, uh, let's look at this uh, first verse. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, he says, keep seeking. Now, he uses, he uses a form of the verb that says, keep seeking, continually seek, and habitually do it. That is, keep seeking is to keep on doing it. Not just once, but it's, it's a lifestyle. You read the Word of God, you habitually, and you are continually keeping the Word of God before you. It's a part of your life. You feast on it, it's a part of your diet. And he says, speaking of seeking those things above, what's he talking about? He's talking about, for example, when he says where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, seeking things above doesn't mean that I don't have any more relationships and then I get holy and holy and I don't think about anything else. No, it means that I've set my mind on things that are pleasing to the Father. Keep seeking those things above. That is... What did Jesus teach? So if I want to keep seeking things above, I'm going to find out what he said and how he lived and how he said I'm to live. And I'm going to keep, he says, habitually do it. And no matter who you are, the devil will see to it that you don't remember much if you don't read the Scriptures continually. I don't mean every single day, all day. I mean when he says keep seeking those things above, that is, well, here's what he's saying. Make uppermost in your thinking. Make a big part of your thinking what God thinks. Keep thinking on those things above, where Christ has seated the Father's right hand. And what kind of thinking is that? Jesus is always thinking concerning us personally in your life. He's thinking, what's best for you? 
What's best for you this morning? What's best for you in your job? What's best for you with your friends? What's best for you how you spend your money? What's best, what's best, what's best for you? He says, keep seeking those things above at the throne of God. And then he says, not only that, set your mind. And both of these use a form of the verb, uh, which means habitually and continually set your mind on things above. That is, as believers, followers of Jesus, we died to our way of life. And so we should be thinking God's thoughts. What does he think? How does he want us to think? How does he want us to live? And in the process of doing so, remember this. When you're thinking his thoughts, you're thinking the most powerful thoughts there are. When you're thinking his thoughts, you're thinking and beginning to see what he's thinking about you. And when you focus on what God thinks about you, that he loves you, that he's forgiven you, that he cares for you, that he wants the best for you, things begin to happen in your life. And that's why he says, seek habitually, continually. And he says, seek, and then he says, set your mind. Then he says, you've died. Now watch this. Here's the difference. When he says, seek and uh, set your mind, he says, seek and set your mind habitually. When he says, you died, you died in your old way. That is, you were saved once. And then habitually seeking and setting your mind on Christ like, like something that goes on continuous in your life. So why does he say that? Because he wants us to think the way God wants us to think. And so we can see what that's all about when we read the Word of God. Then he says, consider the members of your body dead to these thoughts. Now, he uses another term, uh, form of the verb here, when he says, put it to death. No, notice how he says it. He says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead, watch this, dead to immorality, dead to impurity, dead to passion, strong, insatiable desire, evil desires, grief. Put, put them to death. You say, well, what does that mean? Here's what it means. Let's say, for example, that um, you just have this, you just got to have more money, and you, or maybe, you've, maybe you've seen something you've just got to have, you've got to have, you've got to have it. Well, what do you do? You can wrestle with it. You can just go ahead and express it, uh, or you can, you can put it to death. You can control it. Watch this. The Spirit of God within you will enable you to lay it down. You do not have to fulfill temptation. If you had to, it would be an absolute awesome gross mistake on the part of God that he's asking me to do something he knows that I absolutely can't do it. But we have the Holy Spirit. Now, if, you're, if you don't have your mind on the things of God, this is why he says, set your mind on the things of God. Keep, listen, keep them habitually before you. So when Satan attacks you, you've got ammunition. One of them is, I don't have to do that. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given me the strength to say no to sin and to obey you. Now, watch this. If you say, well, I've got to think about it, that, Satan loves that. Because what happens when you say, I just, well, I've got to think about it, uh, where are you thinking? Right here. Where is Satan working? Right here. This is a battlefield. Your hands, your feet, nothing else a battlefield. The battlefield's right here. And so you decide your victory or defeat in your mind. And your feet and your hands travel where your mind has already gone. You set your mind on somebody or something or some place. You set your mind on that. And you keep thinking about that, thinking about it, and thinking about it. Next thing you know, listen, 
your mind is not on there, but your feet, you're there. Your feet are going to travel where you set your mind. And so, therefore, we have to guard what we think. Then he says, consider the members of your body dead to all of these things. And so he says, these things we once walked in. This is the way we once walked back yonder. But remember, we died to that. If somebody died and we brought the casket right in here and set it down here, it could be a $100,000 casket. You know what? They're dead. And you can do anything you want. You can take the coffin top off. You can talk to them, sing to them, shout, holler, yell. And you know what? They're not going to move because they're dead. And there are things in life and there are times in life when you and I need to be just as dead to what we've seen or what we've heard. Remember this. Satan will bring back what you've seen, heard, felt, touched, experienced, you name it. And so what do we do? Say, put that to death. Thank you, Jesus. That, no, that, that doesn't fit who I am. So we say no. And you can say no. And somebody says, but I, I'm so weak. Listen, when you, here's, watch this. When you say I'm weak, you have, side, you have just sided up with the devil. I am weak. And Satan says, that's right. Say it again. <laughs> say it again. I'm weak. No, you're not weak. You choose to think it at the moment. But you have the power of God within you to make a wise decision. Then when he says, for example, watch this, and I just love this. He says, the word of Christ richly dwells in you. In the third chapter, look at the, look at the third chapter in the 16th verse. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in, within you with all wisdom. Look at this. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. Look at what, a, what an awesome thing that is. He says, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. And I love this Greek word. The word is plusios. And here's what it means. It means extravagantly. Let the word of God, when he says richly, extravagantly dwell in you. That is, you've got the word of God. In other words, you, you can't think about much without quoting some scripture or, or thinking about some scripture. Or the spirit of God will bring to your mind some verse of scripture. He says, let it dwell within you. He says, he says, extravagantly, which means if it's going to dwell in me extravagantly, it's going to have a powerful effect on my life. But secondly, it's not going to dwell extravagantly in me by just reading it once in a while. So please don't raise your hand on this question. How many of you take your Bible home? I know that wouldn't be true of you. Take your Bible home after service and close it till next Sunday. Surely nobody in this congregation would do that. Amen? Well, some of you don't sound very convincing. Amen? You wouldn't do that. You know, that's not filling your mind abundantly. And as he says in this passage so beautifully, he says extravagantly. The Word of God filling our mind and heart. So that what? We have this awesome resource. Listen, when you do that, you know what God thinks about everything that you confront, every aspect of your life. You know what he says. And listen, when it's overflowing in you, when, when the word of truth is overflowing in you, you come against anything, no matter what it might be, what happens, you know what the right response is. And if it's overflowing in you, 
then what happens is you sense the strength and the power of God to help you in that situation no matter what it is. But you just read the Bible once in a while. When I think about that word, richly, extravagantly overflowing in you, that ought to be our lifestyle. So we begin by saying, your mind is a control tower. So you have to decide how you're going to live your life and what you're going to see, what you're going to read, and what you're going to look at and so forth. And um, we said we make choices. And I think about that 119th Psalm, a couple of verses I'm sure I learned a long time ago. In the 119th Psalm and the uh, ninth verse says, how can, a young man, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it, listen, according to your word. How can you keep your way pure? Keeping it according to your word. Then he says in the uh, later verse, ninth, 11th verse, Your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against God. Treasured. Not just drop it in. Treasured. Superabundantly. Overflowing. Overflowing in our heart. The living word of God. Because what that means is up in the control tower is truth. And the control tower is the right sense of direction. The control tower, you're evaluating things as they are, not as they appear to be. And the control tower is what you're thinking. Uh, there are consequences to sin. Whatever I do today, I'll reap tomorrow. In other words, you're going to be thinking right. Super abundantly, as he says, extravagantly. So, if there is some particular area of your life in which you're having a real problem, ask yourself the question, where did that come from? It didn't come from this extravagantly awesome word of truth in my mind and heart. And if it doesn't fit that, it doesn't fit me. And remember this. You decide who you want to be. You decide what you want to accomplish. You decide how you want to live all right here. You decide whether you want to be accepted or rejected. You make a lot of decisions in your life all right here. And remember, right here is a battlefield in your life. Satan wants to pull you one way, God the other. Satan has never done you any good. He's lied to you, deceived you, and made you promises. Not a single one of them has ever come true. But the deception, he says, you'll enjoy this. But what he doesn't tell you is you'll enjoy it only for a season. There are consequences. There is a cost. There's a payday someday. You have to decide right there what kind of life you're going to live, what kind of future you're going to have. And he says if you're wise, you'll make right decisions. You'll ask those questions that I gave you about situations that arise in your life and in the process of making a decision. It's my prayer you make the right decision, a wise decision, and you'll be glad. And Father, how grateful we are for your love for us. And thank you, thank you, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit to enable us, strengthen us, overshadow us, and guide us. And I pray for every person who hears this message especially, Father, those who've never trusted you as their Savior, living in defeat, that you will assure them that if they are willing to trust you, Lord Jesus, as their personal Savior, you'll bring about the death of their old life. 
You bring about the changes in life. You promised it, and you always do. I pray for those, Lord, who have trusted you as their Savior, but they're living in sin, miserable, obeying the devil in temptation. Make them so miserable, dear God. They'll turn around realizing, I don't have to live this kind of life. I want God's best, and this is not God's best. Thank you, Father. You know what all of us need. Thank you for your awesome power to provide it. And we praise you and bless you for loving us the way you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Nehemiah 8 and 6 and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, amen. Amen. Lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. When we receive a word from the Lord, our answer should be, Amen. Let the church say, Amen. Let the church say, Amen. Let the church say, God has spoken, so let the church <laughs> say amen. Let the church, let them say amen. If you believe the word, let the whole church say amen. God has spoken. So let the church say amen. Lift your hands, lift your hands. God has spoken. So let the church say amen. No. Thank you, Lord. God has spoken. So let the church Say
Good morning. Hello? Hello? Tell the story of Jesus everywhere we go. It's wonderful to be born again. Yes, amen. Wonderful to have our sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. Listen to the words of this song and may it encourage you. The light from heaven. Amen. I'm glad the sun, the S-O-N, is always shining. Yes. Amen. Praise his name. <laughs>
you have a broken heart, we serve a great God that's a great mender. We can't lean to our understanding about things that happen in life sometimes. But we've got a God that understands right. and yeah. takes care of his children. Yeah. And surely he is our great comforter. Who is your trust in tonight? I hope it's the Lord Jesus. Yeah. If it's not God that you're trusting in, then you're not trusting in the right one. Right. Yeah. Because the Lord Jesus is the way. And he's the truth and he's the light. And I hope that your faith and your trust is in him. Amen. If it is not, the Bible says if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins yes. and cleanse Amen. us from all unrighteousness. Amen. And he'll be your comfort. He'll be your guide. He'll be your strength. And he'll be your high tower. Yes. I promise you, he will never fail you. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. But he'll be a friend that will stick closer than a brother. Praise the name of the Lord. Listen to a great song that will encourage your heart and lift you up. It's called My Comfort. Oh, no. 
ever have in life. And when he speaks peace to us, it makes a difference when Jesus passes by praise. Thank you. 
personal Savior tonight, and we can rest in Him. He said that we could, casting all of our cares upon Him because He cares for us. He's the answer to every one of our problems, and we can't make it in life without Him. What would we do without the Lord? But I'm glad that we can rest in Him. Listen to the words of this great song, Rest in Him. Like the children of Israel, are you walking through? 
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.